welcome to another episode of the Legacy Blueprint. I'm excited today. Our guest today, he calls himself an, an authority blogger. He's, he says he's re-engineered his life. He's obviously been through a lot of seasons of change and success and pitfalls and roadblocks. We're going to uncover a lot of those things today, and we're going to talk about what has made Joe DeSanto, Joe DeSanto. So, Joe, welcome to the show. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for the intro. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for being on, man. I mean, you know, we had a little bit of a catch-up session here before the recording, um, and it's exciting. I mean, I talk to people all the time, you know, that have made transitions between industries and stuff like that, but you've got a really interesting story. Tell us about, like, your background in the production TV business before you kind of got to this place, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, yeah, I, you know, I've, I know a lot of the shows about real estate and stuff, and I've, I've done real estate along the way, but my primary business up until now really was uh, the entertain, advertising and entertainment business. <laughs> and I actually went to school, believe it or not, for, uh, I, I got a degree in photography and fine arts. <laughs> and uh, I was just always interested in that. And that was something, uh, you know, I, I dabbled in some other subjects, but I really gravitated towards that, even though, you know, I could even see that the job prospects were probably not that good. But I was like, you know, they say do what you love. So absolutely. Um, but, you know, in addition to that, and, and it was funny, I was listening to your last episode and uh, your guest there, Matt, like he was saying how his family didn't have any businesses. They just worked a lot. And, you know, you just you didn't get taught business and real estate and things like that. And, you know, my family, I and my parents got divorced and, you know, I learned a lot of lessons after that, but my dad did own a plumbing and heating business. And I really do think that that was very meaningful in that it just showed me that you could have a business, you know I mean? Like that was, that was very, that was an attainable thing. It was not that big of a deal. You just needed to accept the fact that that was something you could do. And so I always had this idea, like, I want to own a business. I know that's a good thing. And I want it to be involved, you know, have something to do with art and what I like. And long story short, that translated into a post-production business, which is, you know, if you think about Photoshop and digital imaging or whatever, so it's like you take photos and then you, you know, you can, you know, digitize them and do different things with them. We'll, we'll take that and you apply it to film and video. So it's like Photoshop in motion, you know, or, or whatever, I guess you could call it, you could call it that. And our, my business was like editing, visual effects, color correction, uh, sound design, audio engineering, mastering. And so someone would come to us and say, we want to make this, this commercial or TV show or movie or music video. And uh, often we would even do the production, take it all the way through post-production and then deliver them. Well, when I started, we would deliver them a tape. Now, mm. you don't deliver a tape, you deliver, you deliver a file. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so, you know, I went to New York to kind of get into that. And then that led me to Los Angeles. And I, you know, it took a while to get that business going. We started, you know, I had a goal of starting a business by the time I was 30. And I, we opened the doors two months after my 30th birthday. So we were close. And, uh, you know, we entered the unknown. It was, it was pretty scary and risky, actually. Um, it worked out, but just a lot of hours and a lot of dedication. And uh, you got to build your reputation up. And, and we worked at it, me and my partners. And it, it turned out to be successful. And it's still in existence. Uh, therapy Studios is still going strong. It occupies the building 
that we collectively own, my, my, my partners and I, because uh, I, you know, like your previous guest was saying, you know, he was talking a lot about taking on different business ventures and sort of, you know, related to what you're doing. I call that piggybacking. Mm-hmm. Uh, pr- you know, another term for that is backwards integration. Um, but it's like, whatever you're spending money on, you know, you should try to figure out how to own a piece of that and, you know, reap the profits of the money that you're dishing out. And 100%. real estate is no different. So, yeah, we were like, you know, we, we, we were three years into our space when we started. Luckily, it was going good. We needed more space. And we were looking at, like, renovating someone else's building, you know, and doing a five-year lease. And I'm like, wait a second. Mm-hmm. We're going to spend, like, a million dollars to renovate this person's building? That doesn't exactly. make any sense we need to buy the building so so we did it was tough but we bought we bought our first building we were in there for eight years then we traded up again sold that made some money reinvested half the profits bought another beautiful building uh you know and i i was always interested in real estate so like i took that on as part of my you know role as a partner and I managed the, you know, that was real commercial development. It was, mm-hmm. And so I've done real estate kind of like four ways, I feel like now. And I, I consider those development projects largely because when, even when it's your own building, uh, when you go into a commercial purchase and you have an idea of what you want to do, you have to figure out if that plan is viable, right? So you have to spend some money and you have to put some money on the table that's just playing at risk. Absolutely. You you might not get it back. It might not work out, but you put that money into developing the idea. And uh, so even though it was our own building, uh, I call it commercial development. And yeah, it was like full change of views, full architecture, like, you know, taking a building from basically a warehouse piece of crap to a beautiful creative office space in Los Angeles and dealing with, you know, all sorts of Department of Transportation, you know, all these things that I just kind of learned on the fly. But I also learned that when you find like a gym and you put the work in and you take the big risk, well, that's where you get a lot of the big reward in real estate. Uh, I was just going to say the same thing. I mean, 100%, I think that that a lot of times people don't realize the amount of risk that goes into it. But, you know, it's calculated risk. It's educated risk. It's deciding there's an end use. I mean, we're doing a development site right now. It's a $20 million site, but people don't realize we're going to have $200,000 in just due diligence, just engineering yeah. and drawings and surveys and design work. And, you know, I think that people don't realize sometimes that, you know, yes, there's a huge upside to that. People have retired and, and built legacy and built lives off of big commercial real estate. But there's also a semblance of you have to have the cash up front to, to get in the game and to take the risk. And, you know, that's always your cash. So yeah, man, it's always your cash. <laughs> It's intense. It, I, honestly, I feel like it took a couple of years off my life both times. Um, <clears throat> but it was, you know, it's something, it's a source of great pride, those two buildings. Actually, on my website, what I've been trying to do over time, because it takes, it take, I'm learning it takes a while to like put a lot of in, good information on a website. You it's know? the hardest you actually, thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's very time consuming, especially when you're trying to like work less, you know, and live, and live the freer lifestyle. Totally. Um, but I've been trying to like slowly describe all of my real estate transactions and, and renovations and development projects, which I've done about 16 total real estate transactions, including my own residences, which I consider investments, which is kind of a contested topic. 
uh, and I really, I try to describe exactly what happened and I give financial details for everything so that people who really want to see well, what's it like to go do a commercial deal, they can go read my thing and get a pretty good understanding of what you have to go through and look, you know, look at the finances. Uh, actually, I should say with the commercial deals because I had partners, I don't put very detailed finances, but on all the residential, which is my own stuff, I put all all renovation costs all you know down payment costs all you know i call it no gimmies accounting i i do absolutely no gimmies accounting for better or for worse even if it's embarrassing in some cases so it doesn't work out the way you want so people can go to my site and really get a good sense of what transacting in real estate is going to be like and what you truly can expect but i was recounting our first commercial project the other day and i literally almost had like ps you know ptsd sweats as i was like remembering the trauma of getting that thing across the finish line and i'll give you a, a quick anecdote of my first deal if just to just to encapsulate encapsulate it quickly we closed it in 2000 march 2008 and lehman brothers did our loan so nice. that's just a metaphor for like you know how challenging sure it was but in the end we got through the other side and we made really good money with it and uh the next building we did is even more beautiful it's it's my it's my pride and joy well uh, let, me, let me backtrack a second so first of all you're saying you single-handedly put lehman brothers out of business is that is that is that what you're saying you were the last loan they wrote before yeah they, yeah they <laughs> the, the last kidding. loan they did they were like this is it i think we could have been the last loan and i said this in my little story that it was funding day, everything, you know, it was, it was tough to get there. And then the money never came through. It just didn't show up. And like people were like, well, I've never seen this happen before. It, and it took, lawyers got out, the whole thing. It took three days for the money to show up to escrow from, from our lender. And we're just like, oh, wow, that's just weird. Isn't that weird? You know, I mean, I know things are getting dicey, but I've never seen that. Cut to like four months later, they're BK. And I'm like, I think we were the last Lehman Brothers loan. They're probably sitting there going, should we ruin these people's lives or not? We're going to go sell some some bad paper. Yeah, Yeah. let's sell some bad paper. (laughs) So let me backtrack a second because one of the things you said was really interesting. And I want to ask you your opinion on this. So, you know, I wrote a book. My first book was all about rehabbing houses. We We gave case studies, dollar for dollar testimonials, exactly what happened, how much we paid, how we got the house, what we paid for it. Um, what the rehab costs were, all the expenses, and then the profit margins. You did a similar thing on your website. You're mm-hmm. showing people the details of the deals. There's so much free education out there. There's so much paid education out there on real estate investing. But yet, I, I still talk to people every single week that say, I've been learning, I've been reading, I've been growing, I've been watching Joe's podcast, I've been watching Joe's blog about how to do this stuff. But, and then I say to them, well, that's great. How many deals have you done? Zero, right? Right. What do you think changes makes the differentiator between guys like you and I that have gone out there, taken the risk and gotten the reward versus the people who just kind of sit on the sidelines and, and watch, you know, the bystanders. Right. What do you think, what do you think is that differentiating factor? Well, you know, let me, let me preface my response by saying I, I jokingly, ref, you know, say about myself, I sort of toe the line between a realist and a cynic, you know, so well, for whatever that that's worth, but all right. I really do think that by and large, you know, there are, th- there, you know, there's, there's certain kinds of people out there that I think it's genetic, whatever. I think some people's minds work a certain way and some people's minds work a certain way. And there are people that are, 
going to be out there that want to do things and just will never do it, you know, and there are going to be people out there that want to do things and just will do it. And then there's going to be a middle slice where they can cross over, you know, but the circumstances just have to be right or, you know, something has to happen to spark them. And actually your last guest, Matt, in a way that, that was, that was a perfect story. You know, he had it in, he just needed the right motivation. Um, So, you know, I do think it's a bit of genetics in a way, but I, I think what people need to do is they really need to look at themselves and be honest and ask themselves, who am I? Like, am I the person that's never going to do this? Cause I probably know I, that may be me and maybe I should just stop giving myself the grief. Or if you're the person who's going to do it, you've probably already tried and you're trying it right now. And I think, you know, if you really look at yourself and are honest and like you have it in you, when you, when you say to yourself, listen, just stop now if you're going to do it or if you're going to do it, just get to it, you know, like just, and don't, don't give yourself the grief anymore of being on the fence. You know, I think if you really take the moment and do that, you know, maybe it has to be a spark, like your girlfriend has to leave you, you know, whatever, Um, you know, look for, look for those, look for those signs too. But you know, you, at some point you just have to commit, I guess, in your head and then you have to set the goal of like, all right, where do, what do I want to accomplish? And usually if, it, if you don't, haven't accomplished much and you don't have much, you've got to give yourself small accomplishable steps because if you just think too big, you're going to just, you know, bum yourself out and sort of lose motivation. So, you, you know, you pick, you pick one, you know, step that's not too far away and you really focus on getting to that step. You know, it's like, it's like the ramps, you know, when you walk into a building, they have those little plateaus. It's like, get to that first plateau, get a success, you know, and then go bigger. You're always end up going bigger because if, once you get into it, if you're that kind of person and you like it, you, you know, you want to go bigger. You're like, well, what, what am I going to do next? It becomes that addictive. Was great. The success becomes, becomes addictive. very addictive. Yeah. <clears throat> what you're saying reminds me of a, of a, of a, a passage in um, Mark Manson wrote this book, A Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. You probably read it. And he talks about the do something principle, right? So I, to relate that to what you just said, like, you know, you're the not doer, then, you know, maybe go find a different hobby, right? right? You know, you're the doer, you've probably already done it, you don't need motivation. But if you're in that gap in between that, you know, that pie slice in between, it's like, I don't know, I can go this way or I can go that way. Like the do something principle, he basically says, you don't need motivation to do something. When you do something, it, it creates momentum and motivation. So it's the opposite. Go yeah. out there, get on that first level of the ramp, get up to that first step. And when you do, all of a sudden, it'll create this, this thing where you look back and you're like, well, that wasn't so bad. Let me do the right. next step. Let me do the next step. So I, I, love, I love what you're saying there. I think it relates a lot to that book. Yeah. It's very interesting. I mean, I'm like, I guess I'm kind of hard on myself and I'm, and I'm hard, hard on others that like ask me for help, which is probably why I'm not going to be like the most successful guru in the world. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, stop bitching and whining, dude. Just go yeah. do it. You know what I mean? Either get on, get on, get on the bus or get off the bus, but don't spend this time like wait, you know, yeah. at the stairs. You know what I mean? And I, I, I really like push people to be like, hold the mirror up to yourself. I would say this to my employees all the time. Like you don't need to know, like I will tell you what you did wrong and how we can improve, but you're smart enough. All you got to do is just hold the mirror up. I would jokingly say, look in the mirror and you know, you know, inside what needs to be done to like move this in the positive direction you know so you that, don't need me to tell you but i'll help you you know and if, if you want some tips i will but i know that you you can make that decision for yourself commit and go 
you know, so that's Hold a great segue accountable. because on your site and play it louder or play louder.com rather, which we'll have in the show notes. You guys can click on that. You talk about how business owners can increase their net worth and plan for a better future. Can you give us some, some of the just highlight steps of let's start with, you know, uh, net worth, right? What, what are some of the things that a business owner can do to increase their net worth? Yeah. Well, yeah. Part of what I'm kind of, you know, I've, in finding my sweet spot, I guess, um, and it just kind of came out naturally is like, I'm not as much helping people figure out how to build a net worth, but like I'm working with people that are successful people, but they work a lot of hours and they're not particularly like in love with doing their finances. And they're essentially leaving a lot of money on the table. Number one, just, you know, by, by not organizing their life. Right. And they're not taking like the, the whole investment thing seriously. It's like they've created a business, you know, they're making some money. They're not keeping as much. And then they're not, not putting that money to work well enough. Um, and you know, I was, I kind of say to people a lot, like you got to be doing, if, I mean, if you want to get to what I call the promised land, whatever that is for you sooner, it's like, you got to be doing multiple things at the same time. You can't mm. just be doing one thing. You got to have, you know, uh, multiple irons in the fire. So I was always like, all right, I'm going to do this business, but you know, we spent, you were spending this much money on rent every month, you know, we got to own a building. So I'm going to go and I'm going to do the X work to figure that out. But same goes for your house, you know, which a lot of millennials today sort of debate whether owning a house is a worthwhile venture, which to me is a silly debate, but I'm like, you're spending rent every month. You got to piggyback that and get that into an investment. So you got to figure that out. Um, you know, Stock, what you're going to invest in, obviously, kind of is a personal choice, I guess. But I like real estate. It's done really well for me. Most of my money is in real estate uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, and then, you know, with our business, for example, I was like, okay, we've invested a lot of money in all these services and, and maybe not always operating at top capacity. So what else can we do to utilize the investments we've made that might potentially create a new source of revenue for us. You know, we always got to be thinking about like, what's a way we can piggyback on what we've already done to create a new source of revenue? Because maybe that new source of revenue will just be extra money on top. Hopefully it will be, but it also might be the things that save us if something we're currently doing, you know, I don't know, like dissipates over time or we lose a big client or whatever. So me and my partners were always thinking that, like, what else could we be doing? So we were always doing these kind of extra projects. Like, we decided to produce our own documentary at our own cost because, one, we wanted to get into producing content, but, two, we wanted to broaden, like, our client base. Well, cut to eight years later, we co-produced a show for HBO. You know, like, if we didn't decide to invest the extra time and the extra money into developing that avenue we would, that just wouldn't have happened. You know, yeah. um, another thing we tried to do is build a website, a comedy website that, uh, you know, was very video oriented because our whole company was making videos all day. And we had a lot of interns, you know, that wanted projects. And I was like, wow, these interns are hungry. Like let's create something that, you know, we can give them to do. That's not super consequential. So we created a website called worldwide interweb. Now that website didn't particularly turn out, um, to be like a financial success, but we learned a ton about like the online media space that we put to work in like our more lucrative kind of business in advertising. 
Yeah. We're able to translate a lot of that experience and a lot of that knowledge into new clients because we're just better educated. And then I actually personally learned a lot about the whole blogosphere and online world. And, and that gave me confidence, confidence to say, hey, if I ever want to change things up, I think I could go pursue what you call me as an authority blogger um, kind of avenue. So it's like you just got to keep upping the ante, I think. And I tell that to my clients all the time. Like, what are you doing? What, what else could we be doing? Like, what other avenues can we be tackling that? It's not that much work and takes advantage of what you already have, you know, what you already have invested in and, you know, already have going. I love that, man. So that, and that builds, you know, it takes building wealth, obviously takes 20, 30 years. Um, <laughs> and so it's not like, all right, we started that, like, you know, great, we can, re you know, retire next year. Um, no, it's just like, it's just layering, layering and layering, you know. I think the thing you're pointing out, which is really most interesting is you don't hear about these things that... So business owners are creators. Business owners are constantly trying to figure out what's the next step, what's the next level, but you don't hear about the times when they failed. And like most recently I can think about in our media company, you know, we run a digital media ad agency that, that, that does lead generation. And at some point earlier on in the year, you know, everyone's like e-com, e-com, e-com. So we're like, okay, cool. We're going to take, you know, 10 grand invested in e-com, you know, segment of our business and we're going to sell products through this, 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 this store and everything else. And here we are months later and like the store is not even running yet. It's, just, it's not <laughs> our focus. It's not our piece. And people just don't, you know, you don't hear about that a lot, you know, with business owners. I tried something. It didn't work. You know, I move on, whatever. I'm not in that space anyway. Let me focus on what we're great at. I'm going to continue to drive sales on this side. But is there any, and I call that like, like I call that my favorite failures, right? Things that have right. failed, you know, but I learned from them. I realized it's not my space. I tested it out. Do you have any favorite failures through the years? Because, I mean, you got 20-some years of business ownership experience, and you've been doing this yeah. for a long time. Any of those kind of like hit you when, when you think about that? Well, the one, the one is that is the website, Worldwide Internet, which it's, it's still alive. We, we actually ended up uh, kind of partnered with another guy who knows more about uh, online advertising, you know, revenue and arbitrage and things. And it's, it's doing better, mm. but we built this site and like, we just kind of came in it from a creator content point of view and we, we put some money to it and it, we built it up. Like we, we partnered with a friend of ours who had been in the space. He had a lot of contacts for syndication of content and this, that, and the other. And we're doing, we built it up in the, in like a couple of years to about half a million unique visitors a month, which is quite a bit, you know, I was like, wow, that, that seems like a lot. I think sure. that we should be able to translate that into some money. And I'm like, I'm a smart person. I, I know I can turn this into money, but I mean, I just, I spent like two years and I was just like, I cannot figure out how to turn this into money for some reason. I just don't know enough about this landscape to do it. And part of it was like, I feel like we chose the wrong thing. Like comedy website is a very difficult thing to monetize because the audience is not, you know, in product buying mode. They're not yes. seeking product. They're seeking distraction from their job. You know, <laughs> yeah. we're basically, we're basically proliferating like lack of productivity around, around <laughs> the nation with this website is what we're doing. Um, but, you know, I just kept digging and digging and digging, and I just, I learned a ton. And at, it was funny because, like, some months we'd, we'd make, like, $5,000 in revenue on this website. And I'd be so excited about that five grand. But, like, over here, our other business is doing 400000 in a month. Oh. And I'm like, why am I spending my time on this damn website? 
You know, but, you gotta be able to maneuver, yeah. right? Like, like I, I, that's another thing. I see people in stagnation, especially during COVID. It's very interesting. Like I think when COVID happened, you had to be nimble or you got swallowed up. And I, and I feel terrible for yeah. the businesses that lost. And there's certain businesses that just couldn't, can't survive type like restaurants and stuff like that. Yeah. You can't when the, when the business is shut down for three months. But I think there's also certain businesses that they didn't pivot fast enough. They didn't think about, hey, we, we got to take on this new thing. Like, you know, our entire office went virtual in 24 hours, you know? That's amazing. And, and it's amazing. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that it's possible. And there's so many that fought it. And, you know, what am I going to do next? And how am I going to figure it out? And I'm shuttering the doors, you know? Yeah. And I think that if you're not nimble and flexible and thinking, I'm going to test something out. It doesn't work. Let's move on to something else. It takes a lot of guts to admit that you kind of failed, whatever that, whatever that's like, you know, with the website, you know, I look at it and I it go, does. okay, it's not it's, making money. This not, one is. Yeah. It's tough, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's tough, tough to be, to be really nimble. Is, especially when you spend a lot of time. Yeah. You're just like, cause I don't know. I, I guess I have a lot of pride in my, in my ability to, to get things figured out. And I was just like, man, this, this just seems really shouldn't be this hard, but it is, but it yeah. was, you know, and you just said, but so I always just at the end of the day say, well, at some point you got to cut your losses uh, and, you know, figure out either end it or in our case, we found someone else to take it over and we're sharing in the revenue and that's good. Um, but you also just have to extract the data, you know, extract the lessons, extract the education and say, all right, what, what can I apply this to? Exactly. Because any good effort, you know, of learning and attempting to make a business and make money is always going to have really good lessons associated with it. It just will. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you're just going to do that. But it, but it is kind of, it is kind of hard, you know, you got to take it on the chin a little bit, but I, you know, um, it, that, I'm not complaining. It's like we had the wherewithal and ability and we've had a lot of successes to be able to try those things and fail. So that's good, you know. Uh, it, what's even harder is if you fail your first time out, you know, getting back up and giving it another go, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, you just gotta, you gotta take the hits and learn the lessons. And, and to your point about COVID, yeah, it's like, I really think that if you're subscribing to the idea that you do have to constantly be doing multiple things and, you know, and diversifying yourself and broadening your business out beyond like, you know, what you originally thought it was, that's the kind of thing that helps you in a scenario like COVID, you know, where you're like, wow, thank God I got that other thing going because that particular line of revenue actually isn't affected by this so much where this line of revenue is, you know, so you have, it might just be the thing that gives you the runway or, you know, the, the room to get through a tough scenario. Um, so I do think things I love, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say diversification, you know, in life and in businesses, I think very important. <clears throat> I think one of the things I love about, I'm just sitting here kind of reflecting on it while you're speaking. One of the things I love about diversification or trying multiple things, like I was just telling my 10 year old this morning, the best investment you can make is in people, right? Like anyone who's been majorly successful has awesome people around them. They're great team members, A plus players. And when you diversify, it forces you to go find great people because you can't be in 10 places at once. So yeah. now all of a sudden I'm going to try a different thing. Okay. Let me put some good people in that place. All right. Let me try this thing. What's it going to take? Let me find the people that are going to make this thing go forward. And then all of a sudden you wake up and that's how you have seven, eight, 10 streams of income because you've found great people to sit in those seats, make them part of your culture. And now all of a sudden you have an ancillary piece of business that's, that's making money hopefully, but then you yeah. got to not be afraid to cut them out. 
when they're yeah. not making money, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, that is true. That is true. You do, you do have to, you know, cut your losses when necessary. But yeah, I agree. I mean, like one thing, you know, I think you need to think about is like you're only one person, right? You can only get do so much, you know, in a week or whatever. You can only learn so much. And the way you, you grow is to bring people with different kinds of expertise into your life, either just in, either in your business or in your networking or in your diversification of your business. And they all have their expertise and you bring all those people into your world and you're learning from them like in a much faster way yeah. than if you're going out and just trying to like read about it and learn about it from scratch. You know what I mean? Like these people have invested their life in being an expert in this field and they just give you, you know, the, the most critical bullet points, you know? Yeah. And honestly, I guess in a way like that's the conclusion I've come to a little bit with like courses and things because I've been on my own journey to learn about the websites and SEO and all the things that, you know, are going to, you know, potentially make this business venture more successful. And I realize it, there's so much information out there. It's just like, it's dizzying. You're just like, I don't even know like who to listen to. So at some point I, I was like, you know, what you end up doing is at some point you pick your guru for the, for the topic. Yeah. You just forget about everybody else for a while. Yeah. And you, you know, you watch, you learn, you execute, you know, based on their instruction. And there, that's the value of like courses and things out there. It's like, you're essentially just, buying someone's very distilled expertise and you're just getting to it, you know, 100%. but it can be a little, if you know, if you're like new to it, you're like, am I getting ripped off? Am I paying too much? You know, you, you can get a little paralysis about it. Um, but like once you commit and kind of get into it, I mean, you don't want to overdo it because yeah. you could just buy a, you know, I think in some ways the people who are never going to do anything, what, them doing something is them buying the course. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's it. They're like, I bought the course. I'm improving my life. You're you like, know what, Joe? <laughs> that, that's, that's systemic in the industry, right? I, I, I listened to an interview over the weekend, and it was a guy who sold $13 million in courses, and he flat out said, and this is the truth. I think Tony Robbins said the same thing. You know, 70% of people that buy a course never open it. Yeah. Right? So then, then the 30% that are left, there's only like 6 to 7% that actually do the work and finish. And here's the thing. When you're in that atmosphere, right? A, everyone complains about fake gurus and people that don't know what they're doing teaching products. Like, it's pretty simple to realize if there's testimonials there and they're legit, the person's got a background in doing it, they put their heart and soul into recording the trainings and everything. The reason that most gurus look bad is because the people that buy their shit never do the work. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you implemented what they taught and you have a legit person on your hands, you're gonna be successful. But a lot of people are too lazy, and I've done it. I mean, I buy courses all the time just because I'm like, oh, I'll put that, that little bit of knowledge in my back, in my back yeah. pocket. I'll log in when I need it. You know what I mean? But if you're going to complain about a course and you're not going to do the work, you got to decide if you're looking in the mirror or you're looking at the guy that you know you think stole the money from you. you know? Yeah. Well, you know, that's the thing. It's 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 the difference in personality. Whatever. I think it's a mix of you know, everything's nature and nurture. I think you know. Yeah. Um, but I really do think. For many people, the self-help is the act of buying the course, mm -hmm. and that's where that's where it ends. You know, that's the precipice. And it's right. it's not yeah, it's not always you know people's fault. I mean, life is demanding, especially if you have kids. You know, and you you know, it's like you don't always have tremendous amount of time. You know, yeah. and you realize shit. If I'm gonna learn this whole new thing, I'm gonna have to do this at night, like at after eight o'clock. I'm gonna have to put in the work. <laughs> Like, oh my God, you know? Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's why, honestly, young people, I, I really do say, I mean, I, 
I say some goofy stuff. Well, people think it's goofy, but I'm like, don't have kids till you're 40, man, because they're going to take up a ton of your time and yeah. it's going to be time taken away from your success. It's Absolutely. just the truth. Do people succeed greatly with lots of kids at a young age? Yes, but I think it makes it far more challenging and it just makes the, it just make, puts a lot of other obstacles. Now, people think I'm kind of weird for saying that stuff sometimes. They get like a little bit like, what do you have a public kid or whatever? You know, I'm like, no, I don't. I just, I'm just, I'm just honest. Like yeah. they take up a lot of time and money. So yeah. like maybe do that when you're more, when you're more successful, you know, like inclined put to the it. time in when you're in your twenties, you know, yeah. especially you have the energy that, you know, We're I'm like super realist anyway. like that. What's yeah. that? We're all living older anyway, so it's okay. Yeah. it's okay. You can have a little bit older. I'm so like, Joe, I'm, I'm a mega realist in that way. Like, I, I just like, I'm like, I look at the numbers. I always kind of say to myself, I'm a do the math guy. Like, I'll do the math on anything. And you can do the math on anything, you know? And it's like, if the math says I will have more time to devote to success in my 20s, you know, uh, if I do this, this, and this, well, I'm like, all right, well, the math says I should do it. So I'm going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, listen, you know, Joe, I want to be respectful of your time. We're, we're running on 40 minutes here, and, and uh, that was a great interview. I feel like we could probably do this for another hour. So I got to cut it at some point here. But No problem. Any, I'm a meanderer, so. No, I think, we, no I think we did good. Is there anything uh, – so Play Louder is the site. You guys can check out Joe's stuff. There's, there's obviously a ton of knowledge in there. Um, Joe's got a great background that can help you teach where you, where you want to go. Joe, anything else do you want to, you want to plug, or how can people reach you? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, my site's the best place. I mean, and I really am putting a lot of energy and effort into putting free, valuable information there, information that, that's been a key for me. Uh, you know, one of the things I like to say that you really need to like think about and focus on life is like three things. You need to be financially prudent, business minded and financially focused. OK. And all those three topics are kind of covered in my site. The financially prudent is about budgeting, tracking your money, knowing where you're at all the time, like taking it seriously and stop pretending that you, you can do it by your gut because you can't. Um, business minded is start a business if you can, but if, if, you're, if you're not starting a business, think of yourself as a business, be the best. Like when I was an employee, I was like the product with one client in my mind and I needed to make sure they wanted to keep paying me more, you know, and keep and keep hiring me for my services. So I always thought like a business, you know, even if I didn't until I even before I had one and then, you know, um, investment focused is like, how are you going to make your money that you're making grow, whether it be real estate, that's my choice by and large or stocks or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, all those topics are covered in a variety of degrees on my site. And I do have uh, one new paid course that's come out about incorporating yourself. So if you are a freelancer, independent contractor, or uh, doing a business function part-time, you need to incorporate yourself to get the most tax efficiency and legal liability protection and you know, make the most of the business venture. So uh, that's something actually that's, that's pretty in-depth and you can purchase. But there's a free, you know, uh, portion of that as well. So awesome. check me out there. Otherwise, you know, I got, I'm most active on LinkedIn, I guess. That's my biggest social media kind of place. Cool. There you go. You guys can check it out. You can search out Play Louder, Joe DeSanto. Thanks for joining us today, Joe. It was a great interview, man. I appreciate you coming. Absolutely, on. man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.